there. Um, today is, uh, we're talking about uh, um, Daniel 6, and in week one we've uh, talked about standing out and being different for God. And last week we talked about um, standing up for what's right, and this week we're going to talk about standing strong. So there's a bit of a theme going here. Um, there might be a slide coming up, I think, on what uh, things used to be like, um, or maybe still like in some places. But if you've been in a church, here we go. <laughs> Strength in throwing darts, <laughs> a few other things. So if you've been in a church for a few years, and especially as a child, you'll know the story of Daniel in chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, there are many cartoons about it and books about it, and I know I used it with my kids as well. Uh, my wife, uh, when she was alive, was a very creative person, and I remember the times that we did things with kids together, and uh, she was one of those people who used to colour outside the lines, and uh, when she was cutting things out, they'd say, look, we've got something, something else for you to do. <laughs> but that's the kind of view that we, we have often of Daniel, don't we? He's a handsome young man, and there are these lions that look so affectionate, <laughs> so cuddly, so like the toys that we have as kids. But the fact is, you see, the reality was nothing like that at all. For a start, the story of Daniel is when he's around about, this, this particular part in the lion's den, is when he is about 80 years old. So, immediate shift. How would you and I feel uh, in our older years as we face the challenge of being thrown into a lion's den? So, that's, uh, that's crashed some of the uh, mental pictures, hasn't it? So today I'd like to bring it into a little context. And I'd also like to ask, how do we stand strong in the middle of opposition? And part of addressing that, I think, is to talk about character and integrity. Character is so important. And when we read this part of the Bible, we see Daniel has character. See, character is what is left when everything else is blown away or burned away. It's who you really are. It's the very core and fiber of your being. We don't develop our character in just one day, do we? But we develop it over time. And so Daniel, at the age of 80, we would hope, and I think we see it in the Bible, is a person of great character because even from a young age, he has committed himself to the Lord God, and he's maintained that through his life. But we also are called to be in alignment with the life and lifestyle of Jesus Christ, who is our model above all else. We also ought to have integrity. We ought to have integrity because 
It means oneness. It's a oneness because what people call the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, between what you believe and between what you do, between what I believe and between that and what I do. We will never be perfect until God takes us home, of course. But all of us should be in a process. And it's a process of laying aside the old self and putting on the new self. Of living in a way that is congruent with who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And as we look at Daniel, he's a fascinating individual. One of the things we see is he understood who he was. He knew he was in the image of God. He knew he was called to be holy. He was a man of tremendous conviction and wisdom. He understood, and this is important, he understood that some things are non-negotiable. Not everything is like that. Some things we hold with an open hand. Other things we hold with a closed hand. And he had those things. And on those things he said, I'm not going to budge. Secondly, he also knew who he represented. He knew that in the midst of a pagan culture, he represented God. And he knew that, surprise, surprise, despite what they had done to him and his friends, that he was there somehow to display the love of God to these people who had rejected God, to these people who did not know God. And in a very interesting way, we have the same calling with a very similar context. Now, history records that King Darius, who was the king at the time, was an administrative genius. And one of the things he did was to set up a, a different form of government. He had 120 people called satraps. In effect, they were like governors. And over those, they were three administrators. And the purpose of this was to protect him and the kingdom against rebellion. Secondly, to levy the taxes. And third, to look after the national account. Interesting that one of the key purposes of this group, and especially the three over the top, was to protect the king from rebellion. You'll see why as we go on in the story. Now, in Daniel 6, 1 to 3, Daniel showed himself to be a person of great excellence. He distinguished himself, so much so that Daniel, uh, so that Darius had a plan. And this plan was to place Daniel over the whole kingdom. In my mind, and maybe in yours, it, it kind of resonates with something else I've heard. And I think of Joseph. Joseph being raised up by Pharaoh, who was second only to Pharaoh in the kingdom of Egypt. Why was that? Because of Joseph's dedication to the Lord God. Here we see Daniel doing much the same. 
However, have you ever been in a position where you made a little progress at work and not everybody's happy about that? Well, Daniel was in the same situation. The two other senior administrators, Daniel was one of the three, got jealous. What Daniel needed in the midst of all this was supernatural strength. Because they plotted against him. The supernatural strength that he needed comes only from a very solid relationship with the living God. And might I say that's true of us too. That as we face the crises of life, as we face the challenges, whatever they be, whether they be at work, whether they be relationship, whether they be health, we need to be sustained somehow spiritually. We need this solid relationship with the living God. Now the men who were the co-governors knew that the only way that they would get Daniel into trouble and advance themselves um, was to set him up in something with regard to his faith. They'd looked at everything else and nothing else seemed to be an opportunity for them. And so in verses 6 to 8, we see the plan is set in motion. And verse 7 says that the governors assemble. Interesting that Daniel's not there. He's supposed to be there, but they've met without him. And they bring forth this policy to the king that no one should bow or pray to anything or anyone else but Darius for a month. And we don't know what the king was thinking, but there seems to have been a slightly narcissistic tendency there, you know, with power, absolute power, uh, tends to corrupt. And, uh, and anyway, he thought it was a great idea. Wonderful. Come and worship me for a month. It's only a month. <laughs> That's not long. Just a short-term divinity. So he knows exactly anyway, uh, Daniel hears, hears about it and in verse 10 we're told that Daniel knows that the government, uh, that the, the, the document was signed by the king. He knows now exactly what these men want to do. So what does he do? What would you do? Well, he goes directly to his house. He opens the window to Jerusalem, not bars them and closes them. And he continues to kneel and pray three times a day facing Jerusalem before the God that he loves. To put it another way, the plot against him doesn't alter his relationship with God at all. Rather, I would suggest it actually makes it more certain. He hasn't changed his habits, but he's more concrete in his faith. So what do many people do? Many people rush to prayer when there's a problem. But Daniel prays consistently through all of the circumstances of life. Many people look at character and integrity and holiness and they say, I'll have what he's having, I'll have what she's having. But they're not willing to put in the work over time that results in that character a character that requires consistently bowing before God. 
And the third point I'd observe out of this situation and applying it to us is that when we pray, God changes us. Often when we go to prayer, we think that, you know, if we could just pray the right words or do it with a loud enough voice or some other method that God would bend to our will. But we have to remember that God is God and his ways are above ours. And they are holy and they are good, but we don't always understand what he's doing. Likewise, we can try to be moral. We can put in, you know, try, try, try to be moral. But haven't you found that that lasts as long as the motivation is there? And that may be 48 hours. <laughs> Just think about Christmas time and New Year. How many of you have made resolutions for the New Year? And one week into it, somebody says, How are you going? <laughs> and you say, um, Resolutions? <laughs> what happened? Back to the situation here. The Apostle Paul as a sidelight, he makes a fascinating comment in Timothy, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He says that prayers and entreaties should be offered for kings and all of those in authority that we might live peaceful, tranquil, and quiet lives. Did Daniel pray that God would change the heart of the king? Maybe he did. But primarily, Daniel prayed that God would build within him, within Daniel, the character, the strong character necessary to walk with God, no matter what happened. For many of us, we're so focused on changing what's out there, on trying to twist God's arm, on trying to make um, a marriage partner different, uh, on trying to uh, repair a situation uh, to try and advance ourselves at work or in some other way. But you see, that's not quite what we're there for. Our duty is to know God. Our duty is to let him form character within us. And if we don't do that, then we fail in our faith in a way that it may not lose our salvation. It does not lose our salvation but our faith is not strong enough, perhaps, to transcend the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Back to the lion's den. Here we have a situation that uh, Daniel's in a, a very bad situation. The king, having signed this edict, suddenly realizes that he's made a mistake because Daniel, he knows and has known over a long time that this is a man of integrity. This is a man who, at least in the past, has had his best interest at heart. But he's signed this edict. And it says in the Bible, in verses 12 and 13, uh, that the king is deeply distressed, and this is why. He looks for a loophole that he can free Daniel, but there is none. So the king throws Daniel into the lion's den because of the foolish decision that he made. 
And he says, and this is quite interesting too, he says, Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. So even though he has limited himself by his bad decision, he still recognizes something else is going on here. It's not the, king, it's not the king's own God. It's not my God. It's still your God. Daniel's God, but nevertheless he recognizes that God. The text continues in verses 18 and 19. There's no sleep for the king, he rises early, and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And in verse 21, Daniel responds, my God, not somebody else's God, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And there's a PS to that. By the way, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Just a reminder that you got it wrong. Just a reminder that I serve the God who is over all. Just a reminder that my God, by the way, is the God. Anyway, the king was overjoyed. He gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel came out of the den, no wounds. And the king, of course, as I said, was still angry because he'd been betrayed by these other men. And he threw the other men and their families into the lion's den. And it says in the Bible that they were crushed by the lions even before they hit the floor. I said when I preached the sermon in a shorter form at Tarragal Glen that, um, you know, the angels who had, uh, the angel who had guided uh, Daniel had taken a coffee break. And uh, the protection wasn't there anymore. So here are three observations, I, I think. Uh, one, when God raises you up, expect others to tear you down. That's not being negative, it's just a fact of life. Number two, kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. And three, when you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. Now, the results might not, might not be what you had specifically in your mind, but the results will be the results that God wants, and they're the right results, and you can trust God with that, just as you can trust your whole life to God. So the first point, when God raises you up, expect others to tear you down. In Australia, we, we call it the tall poppy syndrome, don't we? You know, if anyone rises too high, there's always someone who wants to chop you down. In America, they talk about the crab pot. If one crab in the pot tries to escape, the others actually reach up and pull him back down again. <laughs> and the thinking, I don't know what crabs think, but the thinking seems to be that if I can't get out of here, you're not going to get out of here. <laughs> and we see this played out in Daniel 6, 4 and 5. Just a quick point. You know, it's often I think in Western Christianity we have the mindset that if I'm serving God, um, I won't have any opposition, I'll have an easy life. 
Um, I'm horrified when that kind of message is preached in some places because the, the call to be a Christian is not necessarily a call to an easy life. Uh, we have a life that is sustained by a living God who's interested in everything about our lives. But we're not necessarily going to have an easy time. And that's why we need integrity, because if we have integrity, we have the faith and the integrity to get us through those crises. Reality check, and again, Daniel had no idea that God would rescue him. Do you remember the three young men who were put in um, the furnace, an earlier incident? And uh, they said to the king, we worship God, we will not worship you. Um, our God, we believe, will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship our God. So Daniel had no idea that God would rescue him. He hoped that God would. And he had three options. Think about it. He could stop praying. He's 80 years old, for goodness sake. Isn't he entitled to a break? <laughs> Maybe you feel the same way in crises. You know, I've done this for years. I've had this faith that has been strong. I've been faithful. I've done everything. God, won't you give me a break? Can't I just take, can't I just take a month off? <laughs> Maybe he asked that. The other alternative is we can fake it. He could have faked it. We could have prayed silently without opening the windows, without being obvious. And I think that's a temptation for many of us as we face the pressure of the world upon us. Thirdly, he could keep praying aloud with the windows open, obviously, but not pride-filled, and risk death. And that's exactly what he did. Third, uh, secondly, we can, uh, kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Verse 10 is so powerful. He went upstairs, he prayed. Our first response to any trial should not be to panic, but always to pray. But our language, don't you think, often reflects something different? We talk about, well, I did this and I did that, and all I have left is to pray. <laughs> and can you imagine God saying, oh, you're in such a bad place, aren't you? All you have left is me. But we have God right up front. And we should be saying at the very beginning of a crisis, you know what, I can pray, we can pray, we can come to the very throne room of God. We have access to the creator and the sustainer of the universe. How amazing is that? Daniel didn't make a public show of his prayers, but he wasn't going to pull back from his position either. Jesus, will you, you, you will remember, uh, was very critical of the um, public prayer that some people did. Uh, the look at me, I'm a Pharisee, I pray long fancy prayers. And uh, Jesus was very critical. But Daniel just did quietly what he had always done. He didn't open up his windows and announce loudly that he was going to disobey King Darius. Hashtag, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> Windows. He didn't do that. I'm convinced that part of Daniel's success was 
just that he kept going. He kept going. He kept trusting God. He would not relent in that. I said to one organization that I was speaking to many years ago, you've got to decide your stand before the crisis comes. Because when the crisis comes, you don't have time to decide what to do. And if you haven't decided what to do, you'll probably make a bad choice. Anyway, he decided beforehand that he would not defile himself by eating food that was, had been set aside for the idols. It wasn't just that there were nice iced things to eat. It was that this food that he was offered earlier had been offered to idols, and he didn't want to defile himself. He had decided beforehand, and probably decades beforehand, that I will seek God in prayer three times a day, and if you're determined to grow in your intimacy with God, you will need to have a plan too. Decide what you're going to do, day by day by day. For me, prayer is a, a first thing in the day and last thing at night with sporadic prayers during the day. I need that contact. God, speak to me. You have permission to interrupt me at any time. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. Show me the right path. Give me the, the wisdom that I need to make decision, decisions through life. Show me what you see. Cause my heart to be synchronized with yours. That's what I want. I talk to God when I'm driving. I talk to him when I'm walking. I talk to him when I'm cooking, when I'm in bed, uh, when I'm sitting in the bathroom, you know, sort of a throne-to-throne -throne call. <laughs> and sometimes I kneel at the side of the bed and say, God, I just give you it all. <laughs> everything I am, everything I have, everything I will be, is yours. Just take over because I, you know, Jesus take the wheel because I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> Often. Uh, there are many mature followers of Jesus here today and I'm sure you bow your life before God too. It's a healthy habit. It's a cleansing habit. It's an empowering habit. I wish I could tell you that everything is going to work out well in life but I just can't say that. Um, but I know that you will be sustained if you give your life to Jesus and if you cling to him. Daniel probably wondered what the, the future would hold. You see, we're not talking about a Disney movie here. We're talking about real life. Number three, when you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. Daniel didn't know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. And you and I would be the same as well. He didn't know he was going to be a Sunday school lesson for centuries to come. <laughs> he had no idea it would end the way it did, but he hoped it would. And all he knew was that for 80 years, God had been faithful to him. So no matter what, Dan the man would be faithful to his God. That's it period. No negotiations. If he saves me, I'll trust him. And if he doesn't save me, I'll trust him. Darius, uh, I think I hinted earlier, has been observing Daniel's faith in action over a long period. 
And he knows that Daniel continually serves his God. And the result of that, when, when Daniel is pulled out of the lion's den, is that this pagan king, Darius, decrees that everyone in the kingdom should fear the God of Daniel. How astounding is that? Because of Daniel's faithfulness to God, a king who is not a believer orders his whole nation to turn to God, and not just for a month. I wonder what will our faithfulness do? It's bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than this church. Our faithfulness has the potential to turn our nation around, and dare I say it probably needs to be turned upside down as well. Oddly enough, in verses 24 to 28, it finishes with this pagan king launching into a song of praise to the living God. This is bizarre. <laughs> this is really bizarre. And verses 25 to 27, it says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian after him, for Darius, the king at that time, it was still Daniel's God, but he had been profoundly impacted by the depth and sustainability and dependability of Daniel's consistent faith. Psalm 31.4 says, Keep me from the trap that is set before me, for you are my refuge, O God. And Psalm 141.10 says, Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. And Proverbs 28.10 says, Whoever leads the upright along an evil path will fall into their own traps. It's not vindictive, but it is a nice thought that when you are under pressure, if you have trusted yourself to the living God, you have a future. And in many cases, if not all, it will be that you will avoid disaster while those who, tr who were trying to set a trap for you will go down. Let's make it personal now. Daniel knew who he was and, who he represent, and what he represented. Who are we as Christians and what do we represent? Do you know who you are as a believer to the full extent? Do you realize that God chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him? He predestined you to be sons and daughters of his. God has called you to be an ambassador with all the rights that go with that. He told his disciples, Jesus told his disciples, uh, that it was better that he would die on a cross and rise again so that he could send the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when you trust Jesus Christ, you are sealed by that Holy Spirit. You now become not only his, but you become his representation. You reveal Christ to the world around you. 
we will never be able to adequately reflect the full glory of God, will we? Until we know who we are. Until we know who we represent. And if we don't understand these things, if we don't pursue them, we'll swing from one position to another and it's quite possible we'll miss the plan of God at that moment. So I'd like to pray now at the end of it. And I think there's two things to pray for. One is anyone who feels a conviction right now that you feel you need to set time aside to search for God and make him a top priority and do that by prayer for sure. And secondly, some of you may have done bad things. Uh, you feel unworthy to come before God. Well, I'd like to say, welcome to the club. <laughs> the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the standards that God requires. But Jesus rose, died on a cross and rose to life again so that it says anyone, anyone who calls on his name will be forgiven, saved and transformed. So, two short prayers. Let's, let's bow our heads as we pray. Firstly, Lord, I want to pray for those who feel a conviction that they need to um, pay more attention to seeking you and to make you a top priority in your life and to be consistent through that life. Father God, I pray that your word and your spirit would give strength to your church, that we will be encouraged to obey you, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. To stand strong in the face of opposition. Build our faith, Lord, as we turn to you. Holy Spirit, speak to your church now, I pray. Strengthen us to follow you in every part of our lives. And if you haven't yet sought Jesus Christ out to be the one you follow, then I urge you strongly to do it now with this short prayer. I believe Jesus gave his life so I can be forgiven and experience new life in him. And today I trust Jesus as my saviour and as my Lord. My life does not belong to me anymore. I give it to you, Lord, and I thank you for the new life you give me right now as I come to you. Amen. Thank you.